have 3.30. I can't quite see the clock over there, but I think we're good, 3.30. So um, I'll calling to order the meeting of the Iowa City Climate Action Commission on Monday, February 7th, 2022. And um, welcome. And before we get to roll call, I just wanted to recognize John Frazier and Stratus uh, Gianna Kouros for their leadership over the past year. John served as our chair and Stratus served as vice chair. So a thank you to them. I think we're allowed to applaud. <laughs> and um, also appreciation to all the commissioners who are working together, plus everybody new who's joined us. Uh, I'll make sure y'all can hear me. I know <laughs> I don't have the loudest voice in the room, um, but I just wanna thank everyone because I know serving as commissioner takes both time and energy. And at our next meeting, we're going to have a little time, right, Rachel, to be able to, for folks to get to know each other a little bit. We'll, ha we'll have some time for that. And you can remember, look at the sustainability newsletter for past profiles and more will be coming of commissioners. I think, uh, Michael, you were just in the latest one. So um, please check those so we can keep kind of learning about each other as well as our purpose here on the commission. Um, so with that, um, roll call and please correct me. I wanna get everybody's last name correct. And I get to start, Michael, it's Einan Lynch, correct? Okay, so uh, Michael, and just say present, obviously, if you're here, Michael Einan Lynch. Present. Uh, John Frazier. Present. Stratus Giannakouris. Ben Grimm. Present. Claire DeGuerra. Here. Megan Hill. And we don't have anyone on zoom or no there's no one on zoom at this time okay great thank you sir casey hutchinson matt krieger here jesse leckbend uh becky soglin present and gabe uh stirred event present thanks everyone um and then would staff I, I we don't really have anyone from the public present but i don't do staff would staff like to in, mention their names or sarah gardner present <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, so next is approval of the January 10th, uh, 2022 minutes. They were in the packet. Um, were any corrections needed? And if not, is there a motion to approve the minutes? I move to approve the minutes. Second. Um, all in favor? Aye. 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 Um, who who was the second? I had my head down. Clarity. Thanks, Clarity. So the minutes of uh, January tenth, twenty twenty two, are approved. So um, next, we would normally have public comments of items not on the agenda. There's no one present from the public, so I believe we can just move on. But, um, and uh, item five now, our informational update. First is administrative reminders from me, and I assure you after this, I will pretty much be quiet. <laughs> but this is partly because this is our meeting early in the year. So um, you all have received the bylaws in the past, and just we wanted to, since it's a new year, new board members, and it's always good to have some reminders. I'm just going to go over a few of the highlights from the bylaws, so our favorites from the bylaws. Um, um, duties are to advise the city council on climate issues, to research, analyze, and promote climate actions with particular attention to equity, educate and engage with the public on climate action and the city's climate and sustainability goals, 
assist city staff, city council, and members of the community with implementing approved in initiatives that support the city's climate and sustainability goals, including the climate action and adaptation plan and any related or updated plan hereafter. Um, recommend to the city council updates to the climate action and ad adaptation plan and a sort of by extension, probably that one 100 day action plan. Um, the chair and vice chair obviously elected in January within our membership and I will preside over the meetings and our vice chair Gabe will take over in the event of my absence. Um, anyone who misses three meetings in a row without prior approval of the excuse option, it forces us the commission to recommend to the city council that that member be discharged and someone else be appointed. Um, so, and the way to not get to that point usually is you make sure you contact Sarah and Rachel about any upcoming planned absences, just an email to them so they can record that. For our monthly meeting, six or more members must be physically present to constitute a quorum. And um, working groups or subcommittees are not a full meeting of the commission unless six commissioners are present. And so even if there isn't a quorum at one of the working group meetings or some other event with a group of commissioners, we're always kind of mindful that we want to deliberate and discuss everything as a full group here in terms of our final decision making. And uh, the working groups can include the members of the public. So motions of our uh, commission are decided by the majority of votes cast at any, any meeting, at any meeting. So I guess if we have nine commissioners present, that would be five votes. And if it's eight, and is it, does it have to be, it still has to be five then if it's eight. So, okay. And then if we, the commission want to make some kind of a specific recommendation to the city council, we need to deliver that suggestion in the form, in a form other than just the minutes. So like a, a memo or some kind of, I guess, report. And so I think what we've done, this isn't, if it's okay to go a little bit beyond the bylaws, it's not in the bylaws, but I think by extension, if a working group wants to make a recommendation to the council, what we've what we did in the past for like the building working group was we shared the draft with staff for input and then we brought it to the commissioners and everyone got to discuss it and vote on it so the memo ultimately came from the commission even though one working group was focused on that topic and um just this is actually the very first item in the by Leba, just our, our purpose is to enhance and enable further community efforts to achieve the city's ambitious climate goals. And I think we can all kind of be proud and energized by that word ambitious. So <laughs> it's been happening for a couple of years and we're, things, are, things are getting accomplished. And with that, I'll turn it over to, um, or I guess if, is this okay if there's questions to, to any questions or need any clarifications, does anyone have? I thought the bylaws are everyone's favorite. So. I was going to say thank you. That was, I think, that was really cool. Oh, good to know. So great. Yeah, and always, if I think anything procedurally is confusing, we can always try to clear it. Usually, if one person has the question, probably everybody does. So, um, but thanks. All right. Um, action items from last meeting. This is for staff. So the one action item from the last meeting was continued discussion of the marketing plan and solar study as appropriate by the working group members. Um, and you'll see in the minutes included in the agenda packet from those working groups that how those discussions proceeded. And uh, 
the action work plan update is also a staff uh, item. Here. <laughs> uh, Rachel Kilberg, Assistant City Manager. So these, uh, so the the update to the action work plan, um, or just the updates on the action work plan, was included in last month's packet um, because of the the packed agenda that we had at that time. We um, delayed discussion until this month. So there hasn't been any updates to what was included in last month's packet. And you will again hear this next month with updates from the past two months. So some of these items may have um, a few more kind of updates that that aren't included here, but um, I'll just kind of go through here. Won't, uh, per usual, won't touch on everything. Um, and just a reminder for new members and, and, and old um, that uh, typically staff um, uses this time to kind of call out major um, updates or accomplishments related to the 100-day uh, climate action report. If there's something that we specifically want you to discuss or to take up um, on a future agenda, we'll call that out. Um, and of course, it's up to the commissioners to also bring up items, whether it's included in the kind of the summarized updates or, or not, um, if there are items that you want to discuss or are looking for an update on. Uh, so that being said, I'll just kind of go through here. Like I said, won't touch on everything. Um, first, the energy efficient uh, city rehab projects. Uh, I'll talk about this kind of in conjunction with the fourth one down under that building summary, which is the residential electrification and energy efficiency rehab grant program. Um, these are very similar kind of initiatives, but both uh, resulted from a collaboration between the Climate Action Office um, and our Neighborhood and Development Services Division, where um, we've identified kind of priority improvements um, when the city is rehabbing project, rehabbing um, buildings, residential properties specifically uh, for rental or uh, for, to be included in the uh, homeowner rehab programs. So um, the and then. In addition to that, when there are residents who are participating in our rehab grant programs, um, climate action funds, again, may be uh, provided as a grant um, so that they can either kind of increase the improvements that are being made, which wouldn't have been possible with just uh, the federal funds that uh, neighborhood development services had access to, um, or to do additional improvements that wouldn't have been made. So uh, the kind of the high priority items that the climate action staff identified are uh, window replacements, insulation, and electrical panel upgrades, and uh, wraps around the houses. Uh, the neighborhood energy blitz expansion, um, Sarah has been working kind of on a phase two to go back to the South District neighborhood and do kind of a more neighborhood driven uh, phase two program and then also to launch a phase one, which is kind of delivery of those kits throughout the neighborhood in the Lucas Farms neighborhood. Uh, the commercial and industrial energy efficiency incentive program. So as you recall, uh, that kind of matching grant TIF program was um, started in the Heinz, Sycamore, Scott, six urban renewal areas. Uh, recently, we launched a, um, a similar program in the downtown Riverfront Crossings and Northside Marketplace area. Uh, we haven't got a ton of interest uh, yet, so we've kind of expanded that deadline and are upping our kind of promotion and outreach related to that program. And then just wanted to call attention to a major upgrade of HID to LED lighting that's taking place in all the parking deck ramps. Um, so 10 have been completed on the Court Street. 31 are planned to take place this spring at the Dubuque. Capital and Chauncey Swan ramps. Um, and then also noted here that public works staff are proceeding with a direct to directly purchase solar installation for that for that new public works uh, facility down 
on the south end. Rachel, did you want to take any comments during your update or at, kind of at the end? Uh, you, if you want to kind of go, go as I just had a question about the, the matching grant program, the mm -hmm. commercial industrial mm -hmm. program. Do you see that as a, like an annual thing, like an ongoing offering? Um, I think at this time it's planned for just kind of a one time. So really the genesis of it um, in in the Scott Hines area, as you know, is because there is a sunsetting TIF district with some remaining increment that needed to be used up. Um, the downtown one is um, is is not based on TIF, um, so we see it kind of being a one time kind of thing, which could be revisited every so year, but not annually. Okay. Couple of upcoming things. Um, Sarah and Danny continue to work on uh, holding a lunch and learn with building and construction professionals, getting that planned. Um, and we are working on reviewing that final solar study that Jay said delivered to us um, to look at what staff would recommend for next steps. And Rachel and the and Sarah, the education event with the building and construction professionals is that a focus on that energy, or could you remind me what the focus of that is? Um, yeah, so this grows out of the discussions we've been having about how to forward air source heat pumps in the community. Um, and as staff have explored that over the last year, one of the big pinch points we've identified, which, uh, to be honest, will probably continue to be a pitch point, at least for the, a little bit, is uh, getting contractors on board. Um, many of the contractors we've spoken to in the area have said that uh, these heat pumps don't work above the Missouri state line, which was news to Danny and I, since we both have one. Um, so the idea is we identified a speaker actually at the uh, Iowa Energy Summit who did a great job of talking about um, new developments in the technology, including cold climate heat pumps. Our thought was to bring in the speaker to talk to area contractors more about the technology so they could be more familiar with it. Um, and also to bring their attention to some um, resources available through the Minnesota Heat Pump Coalition that include um, online modules you can take to learn how to sell the equipment, um, thinking that if they understand the selling proposition, that may be a better incentive for them as well. So that's the rough and dirty. <laughs> no, no, that's it. really helpful. And maybe something to eventually maybe something for the public could be and then maybe members of the commission who would want to attend something like that to get more informed or um, building um, inspectors or yeah, certainly when we have the date set up for it, we're going to be hosting it virtually now. Our idea originally was to try to host it as an in-person lunch and learn, thinking if we had sandwiches, it would be easier to get people in the door. But the pandemic being what it is, it's going to be virtual. Um, and that has the advantage of allowing us to record it and also the advantage of allowing us to invite more people. So we can send out that invite link to all of you as well. And anybody who'd like to listen in is certainly welcome to do so. Um, the one hiccup I should mention that we've hit um, most recently is that the speaker we had originally identified to give this talk has uh, left his former place of employment and the industry entirely. So he provided the name of someone else who could be able to uh, fill in his spot. And we've been in discussion with that person trying to set up a date. Okay. Well, thanks for pursuing it. And I guess some of us, because of by virtue of what our work is, we could forward that invite as well, help get the word out. So thanks. 
Okay, moving along. Um, hopefully you all have seen the new electric buses out on the streets. They look fantastic. Maybe you had a chance to hop on one and ride as well. Um, so those are kind of rolling. Sarah took the opportunity on the first day that they were running um, to just ride the first hour and talk to people about how it fits into our climate action work, which went over really well. Um, you probably you may have seen in the sustainability newsletter uh, that that first rider who had a chance to be spotlighted in there. So that's very exciting. And um, we're going to look at, at doing that as the buses go on to new routes, too, because it's been a really positive touch point. Um, moving on to the waste side of things, one thing I'll touch on here uh, a couple months ago, we mentioned that um, we were approached by table to table about partnering on kind of a maybe piloting like a small scale commercial food waste processing system and then um, seeing if there would be capacity for drop off, um, but initially focusing just on the food waste that's being generated uh, on site. Um, and recently, uh, our waste, our resource management staff uh, helped table to table and community conduct a food waste audit. And based on the results, they found that there was a potential to save about 15 tons of food waste each year if we were to proceed with this. So we're going to continue kind of working on that collaboration and um, and keep you updated as we go. Uh, under adaptation, uh, Sarah is continuing to kind of drive forward the teen resilience core concept. Um, we have. Um, executed an agreement with ASTE planning, um, who will be helping out with that as well. If you have any questions, uh, Sarah can take those today. Otherwise, I imagine next month we'll be able to have a more comprehensive update on that item. Um, just a nice recognition that the city recently learned um, that we hold the record for the most environmentally responsible management athletic fields, <laughs> certified athletic fields. Um, there's only 45 facilities worldwide that have this and we have the most. So that is very exciting and a testament to our parks hard work. Um, I have a quick question. Yeah. Um, with the teen resilience core, and I know like the resilience hub planning that whole, um, I guess this is like a broader question in the action plan, there's a whole column about areas for the commission to engage. Um, I'm specifically interested in that one about resilience hubs, and I'm just wondering what is the proper way to, to like, engage in those. We sort of like have opportunities for the commission, and I'm wondering like, how do I like announce myself like as like I'm interested in discussion about? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, first of all, we'll have Sarah mark that down, and kind of as those discussions move along, we can get you looped in there. Um, resilience hubs are are one item that is going to be a major focus from the staff's perspective in the coming years. We have awarded a grant right now for um, A&W Sustainable Planning and Outreach to do um, some kind of preliminary planning work around that. Um, and we anticipate that when we get the results of that, that will help to us to kind of more identify what our, what our vision and action plan is around resilience hubs and kind of how all these pieces fit together. So at that point, it could be this kind of getting ahead of myself in the agenda, but that could be potentially a working group or just kind of, you know, items on the agenda at full commission meetings where we have opportunity to talk about that. But if you have. Well, yeah, I guess it's sort of a broader question, like do it in those areas where you're asking, where you say like, this is an area for commission to engage. Like, is that is this the proper way to do that? <laughs> yeah, you're talking about the the far right column, and I think it's yeah. you know one of the we had identified that um, like if the working groups were working on you know, specific programs or specific issues, um, that that column was a way for the staff to communicate to the working groups or to the commission that this is an area that we're looking for input from commission members or from those working groups. So exactly, I mean, I think if there's a working group that's set up to focus on that, 
particular project or issue, then or even just in these meetings, that's a great time to to get involved or provide the the feedback or even just to send it if you already have it. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, but on that on that particular issue, and I think this is an item that I think broadly, I mean, it's it kind of goes to process. Um, in my mind, it seems like there's it'd be great to get the feedback and the input in the process rather than feedback on the result. Um, and so I think this is one of those, those key items that that's, that's, you know, right for doing that process <laughs> of that integrated approach. And so it'd be, it'd be good to understand a little bit more about kind of what is the, the grant awardee, um, you know, what their kind of the, the breadth of their um, scope of, of what they're doing. Um, so that we can kind of see, does it make sense to plug in now when they're still working on their aspect of the study, or does it make sense to plug in after once they've done sort of their preliminary work? Sure. Good point. Thanks for raising that. Okay, good feedback. That's helpful. Uh, moving along then, uh, just a couple other items to hit on. In, uh, Related to the natural areas management plan, um, so over 100 acres of prairie have been planted over the past couple of years. So really now they're kind of in in that maintenance um, stage uh, and kind of the mow stage and helping those those prairies thrive. And recently, uh, the the Parks Commission also approved an additional 50 acres uh, to be established in 2022, which will um, occur at Kicker Soccer Park, kind of in that area that's used for the um like cross-country meets uh at terry trueblood um along that south edge where it was burned down last year and then uh, willow creek park there's also an update uh in here on uh the extreme weather preparedness event that was held by the multicultural development center um, which was a climate action uh grant we did receive uh the the mid-year reports of everyone who has uh, received a climate action grant for 2022 um, and we can certainly prepare that kind of as an update of where people are at uh, for a future agenda packet and then finally the last uh, item i just wanted to provide an update on is that uh, jane wilch uh, the recycling coordinator and uh, sarah gardner have been holding the speaking of education engagement series on various topics and sustainability and resource management and they've just been going really well they've gotten some really positive feedback great questions great engagement I mean, after nearly two years of, of Zooms and Zoom fatigue, they had 44 participants in their last meeting. So it's just really great news. <laughs> One question I have, it's a little bit along the lines of what Matt was raising, but, um, and I know there's often the upcoming events are listed in the sustainability newsletter. Would it be possible at all to kind of copy and paste it into here events that if commissioners wanted to show up either for themselves or their family um, and maybe just informally a way we can introduce just introduce ourselves as a commissioner, not that it's a, a job for us or anything at that moment necessarily, but um, then we're kind of keeping them in mind. Um, where as a citizen we can show up, but maybe it is also a chance if we can mingle a little bit when when the time is right, um, we might be able to identify ourselves then as a commissioner and just get to know people, right? We've, we've kind of been inside this room so much, right? Or on Zoom, would that be okay? Is that not overstepping any bounds or anything? 
No, I have no so, objections to that. So good. So, and then just with the list is in front of us, then it's a, a little bit easier to. Um, that's okay. It's easy for you guys to kind of cut and paste that, and then we have a central location. But um, out of curiosity, is everybody subscribed to the sustainability newsletter? Yeah. Okay. So you're at least getting it that way as well. Good. Sometimes that seeing it two or three times really helps you remember. <laughs> well, I wanted to do that. Um, and so. Becky, I think that's a good idea to uh, opportunities for us to think of ourselves in the as an ambassador from the commission, like if part of the role of the commission is to engage the community, being clear about our role and our, like our ability to represent the commission is, I think it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, and a small, and one item, so the, it's really wonderful, the Parks and Rec got this certificate. Is it appropriate or a way that we could sort of collectively vote that we would like to we applaud them for that or to get a message to them that we think that's great basically is that do we need to have like a motion that we formally <laughs> want to state that we we applaud what they did and and appreciate their efforts is that okay i just want to make sure everyone agrees i don't want to just speak for everyone i just think when you know that you, you we can we just all know i mean i think ben you especially know how much work must have gone in to achieve that kind of uh recognition so yeah what, what most people won't be able to completely appreciate is it's not like there's a complete roadmap of roadmap of how you get to these kind of objectives or goals that they got to and so it's actually a very big accomplishment for them to get there so pretty neat so could you use Ben's words and like as a commission <laughs> if everyone if everyone's in agreement that we just make sure that they all know how much we uh, appreciate their work <clears throat> so that that's all the action plan updates we're good and or I, had a, just, I just had a quick question about one of the ones um that was listed I, you didn't um, talk about that one in particular but the um the construction waste management program that you're, you're just sort of looking into i guessing that's just getting started and some initial discussions doing research on other communities okay i don't have i don't have too much um to to share on that uh, hopefully next month when we do our update again we can um just know that our resource management staff was approached um, by another agency about the possibility of kind of collaborating on okay. on a construction waste diversion program okay yeah that, i would just like to voice that that would be a wonderful resource to have that um <laughs> as an architect that we always get questions from contractors about what options are available to them um so it'd be great to be able to share that once it's fully developed yeah, we'll pass it along. I believe the conversation is scheduled to be held later this month. So okay. I'd like Thank to put you. in for like um like residents doing like their own home construction too. Like recently had to reside my house and it was like, can we even recycle any of this stuff? And so we had to like go and look. So, you know, personally, you know, I know it's more for like construction construction, but having like citizens saying, Hey, I'm retiling my bathroom or something, can I do anything with any of this stuff? might be good to reach out to the private citizens students saying hey here's what you can do with your stuff just as a idea to engage the community i mean it just seems like yeah when you're i guess when you're messaging about the kind of broader program what are the ways that um 
you know, like how do homeowners on their, on, at their scale reach out to the coordinator or recycling coordinator or whomever it is that they need to in order to make contact and understand what <laughs> is available to them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For, for mine, I had to like call two different people to say, hey, like, where do, <laughs> where can I go with this stuff? And they're like, okay, we'll call you back. So it could be good too to have like a list of once that this is, you know, formed out a little bit more to say, hey, put it, you know, put it on the, the city recycling or waste management website. Any other questions on the action items? We'll move on to item six, which is our unfinished business. Um, Iowa City Climate Action mascot discussion, and we have an informational presentation from staff. I was joking the other day that after two years on Zoom, I feel like every conversation is going to begin with either can you hear me or can you see my screen? <laughs> so let me make sure we share the screen for our Zoom folks, which for some reason doesn't want to come up for me. There we go. Oh, heavens. Can we slightly... I always forget where the lights are in here again. All right, we're good to go. So thank you so much. Um, first off, for your patience with this discussion, of course, in an ideal world, we would have loved to have had this discussion as the uh, consultants were presenting to you last month. And just by a confluence of events, we weren't able to provide the full context that we would have liked to. Um, some of you, we've been able to discuss this with a little in working groups, and I just wanted the opportunity to bring everybody up to speed. Um, <laughs> so to start with, the climate mascot was something we knew we wanted going into the process of hiring cause impacts or whichever consultant ended up with the contract as part of our marketing plan. And part of that had come out of preliminary work we had done looking at guidance through the urban uh, sustainability directors network on effective climate communications and sustainability communications in which they identified mascots as a way to have an easily identifiable visual for your marketing campaign. And in fact, when we started talking with Cause Impacts, even before they were officially awarded the contract for this project, one of the things that we appreciated in their presentation was that they highlighted this as a way to address um, the lack of unification in climate messaging. As we know, climate change is driven by human, human activity. Human activity takes lots of different forms. That means you have to message on lots of different issues. And one way to try to unify them is to have a mascot to do so. Um, the next slide, I think of to myself as the hard truth slide for myself professionally, which is to say, um, one of the key values in having a mascot is that, for whatever reason, we tend to like messages coming from cartoon animals more than we do from public servants, right? And so instead of having a park ranger come and tell you, hey, make sure you put out that campfire, we have a cartoon bear that does it. Instead of having um, a city staff member say, hey, it'd be really great if you stopped throwing litter out your car window, we have an owl that does it. Louis the lightning bug doesn't actually have anything to do with climate action, but I just wanted to point out that as we were researching mascots, we noticed that Louis recently got an update and now has an LED bulb for his body instead of an incandescent bulb. We thought that was pretty cool. So 
Um, the other thing we did as we were preparing for this was we looked at how mascots were used in other cities. And this led us specifically to Albert the Squirrel, which is a sustainability mascot that's been used quite effectively in Flagstaff, Arizona. And as you can see, um, Albert the Squirrel just gets put in different positions, doing activi different activities that get added on to flyers and brochures and social media posts, talking about um, taking a shorter shower, you know, benefits the climate. And there too, you can easily imagine how um, someone <laughs> might be more comfortable for entirely reasonable uh, reasons to hear it from a small cartoon rather than a member of city government saying, shorten up that shower. So this was the information that we provided to cause impact um, as our our baseline, what we were looking at and thinking we would do. One thing that we anticipated was that we would be doing the uh, development of the mascot in-house ourselves. Um, and we would be working with cause impacts throughout the process to figure out how best to use it. So they would make recommendations about this would be an instance where you would use the mascot. This is one where you might not. Um, and one of the things that they said to us when we were going through that process was this is so central to the brand identity we're trying to help you develop and to all our recommendations that we would really like to take on the task of developing that mascot ourselves. So we um, entered into some conversations with them. Um, and we outlined both what we knew um, from the USDN research as to why it matters to have a mascot or why it might be very beneficial for Iowa City to have it. And we also added in some best practices that we had identified um, through that process of looking at what other cities were doing with their or with their mascots. Um, and also, it's just a funny thing. This is actually the second time in my life I've gone through a mascot development process, which is not something I ever imagined I would say in one lifetime. But when I was with the University of Houston system, we went through a mascot development process, and that was very helpful in these conversations to be able to draw on that experience in the past. So we said to Cause Impacts, we wanted something locally relevant. Um, that turns out to be pretty key because preferably you want something that people already have an emotional connection to. Um, we wanted something that's non-threatening and also something that's non-threatened. And this goes to the point, John, that you raised in the last meeting um, something else we talked about quite a lot with cause impacts and have talked about extensively within the office itself is the need to humanize our climate messaging, right? To not make it about polar bears, which can seem abstract and far away to people living in Iowa City, but to make it something that is um, people can encounter every day here around Iowa City and also something that is not itself immediately threatened by climate change. Um, because as though we love polar bears quite a bit, I don't know that we necessarily are looking to polar bears for survival techniques in the uh, face of climate change, which is harsh but true. So we want something that feels like positive and uplifting and that we can do this. And you want that positive voice, tone, look and feel um, just to carry that sense of hopefulness. Um, cause impacts, I will say, initially came to us um, with the idea of using a and John, you can uh, probably remember this as well from their original presentation when we were going through for the uh, bidding process. And they had identified it for actually some reasons that were similar to things we had already identified in-house. Um, they talked about capitalizing on the presence of gold and black messaging here in the city. Um, we had been talking a lot about trying to have something um, that shows our that we work in partnership in some ways with the university but are still distinctive from them. 
um, because we do get questions all the time in the office about town and gown initiatives. Um, and so the idea of having another black and gold mascot that could show parallel efforts, but still be distinctive, that was important to us. When they mentioned the bee, um, we thought, great, we had been having very similar thoughts, except um, <laughs> we ended up having a lot of discussion about the fact that bees, one, do seem to be threatened by some unsustainable practices in the area. And um, for lack of a better way of saying this, no one's ever been stung by a goldfinch. So we asked them to take a look at a goldfinch as a potential alternative. Um, that is what we had been looking at internally in-house. The goldfinch we felt had another advantage being that it's the state bird, which um, as you may recall from the climate action plan, one of the things it calls for us is to be a state leader in climate action. And we thought by adopting the state bird, we could be sending a message at the same time that climate actions that work in Iowa City work for the entire state. Um, so that was some of the thinking. I'll also add that if we learned nothing else from the uh, solar field debacle, at the Waterworks Park, it was that the birding population here in Iowa City are loud and enthusiastic and represent a broad, broad swath of our uh, environmentally engaged residents. And so we thought there were some advantages to taking a bird for that reason too. So you can see on this slide, this is what where we were at by the time cause impacts came in. We had been doing a uh, image review ourselves of goldfinches trying to figure out what our image was going to look like how we might draw it in house and you can see that it's pretty two-dimensional what cause impacts was able to do when they took on this project for us um, and one of the strong arguments they made is you keep talking about humanizing your messaging you really want to have a goldfinch mascot that actually feels a little more human that way you can bridge the gap to people and so they offered to take the research we had done and generate what ended up being Goldie, which you can see is more three-dimensional, has more human-like features, and does that bridge work that they were talking about. The other thing we asked them to do quite explicitly was an image audit of Herky, because we were very cognizant of the fact that Iowa City does already have one bird mascot. And so um, they went through and got all the images they could of Herky and brought them together and then uh, very carefully delineated how our mascot was going to be different, not just in appearance, so that somebody glancing at Goldie wouldn't necessarily mistake it for Herky, but also how um, Goldie would be used differently, the kind of guardrails that would be on place. So Goldie's not going to appear as a costume mascot anytime in the near future. Turns out that's quite expensive. Um, but also Goldie is going to appear primarily in print material. Um, it's not going to appear at athletic events, things like that. So it's going to be very clearly connected with climate communications and not with uh, university athletic events. Um, based on some feedback we got from Stratus, we did reach out to the university athletic department to make sure that they had a chance to review the, the image as well and to offer any guardrails. Um, we did send off the image for them to look at and we haven't gotten a formal response on it, but informally we've been told by the athletic department that they don't see any cause for alarm in the use of this and uh, our, we encourage them to offer any guardrails they would like to see in place as well. So maybe there are poses, for example, they might steer us away from. We want to be aware of that. But so far the conversations have been very positive. Um, in fact, they're the ones who gave us the price tag on the costume mascot. So that was good to know. So um, in closing, I will just offer this up. If you really want a sustainability mascot to hate, 
let me offer Birdie from New York City, which is a mascot that I think actually does a lot of things wrong based on the best practices we reviewed from USDN. Um, Birdie is supposed to be a monk parakeet, which is not local. Uh, I don't know how to say this. I'm going to say I find Birdie to be kind of ugly. Um, and Birdie has been used intermittently by the Office of Sustainability in Iowa or in New York City. Nonetheless, when Birdie um, was recently retired by the city of New York City as a result of an administrative change, um, the city got an outpouring of letters from folks saying, you know, bring back Birdie. So it had clearly resonated with residents. And Birdie had a 45% recognition rate among residents in New York City who said when they saw Birdie, they knew that it was messaging about climate. I will say, like, if we could get 45% recognition based on our use of Goldie so that people know when they see that they are getting a climate action tip, that would be such a clear win for our outreach and engagement efforts that, uh, I'm excited to see, I guess, how much further Goldie can fly than Birdie. So that's the uh, that's the big overview on that process. But we are certainly, certainly happy to uh, answer any other questions you may have about this mascot. Um, and I just want to say we appreciate all the thought that you all have put into the discussion that we had last month and, and through the working groups, because, of course, this is an important part of the outcomes of that out, or the uh, marketing study we did or market plan efforts that we've made. And so we want to make sure we're getting it right. Did I overwhelm you with cartoons? <laughs> um, I think as, as long as that was my big issue is if the university is going to come back and say like, hey, we're you know suing you for whatever without you know that was my big issue with it um just as long as the university doesn't have any issues and we have to revisit it or kind of do it over again i don't i didn't have a problem with it it was just hey is the university going to have an issue with a black and gold bird then <laughs> it comes along um the other thing i did notice like looking at it the the coloring on some of the things that they had proposed the, the lettering kind of seemed a little i know this is off mascot but the like the green on the blue that they had recommended it was hard to read so just kind of those are the things i had issue with just wanted to make sure that those were not going to be issues mm -hmm. I just want to second that if any color schemes could be run through there's that online uh, visual kind of an ADA level sort of thing. Um, I know for some things it wouldn't be an issue because the format's so large, but just to be considerate since a good part of the population is colorblind. Yeah, absolutely. And that actually is a great uh, moment to talk about what comes next now that uh, Cause Impacts has finished their study. Um, I'll say that the color scheme they presented is actually the second iteration that they gave us. Um, the first one, we raised ADA concerns as well on it, which is why they ended up revising it. Um, just to provide just a little more context on this, what we've gotten from cause impacts are basically pieces of the puzzle to put together for a marketing plan and it falls to us to construct that plan now um, and that is sort of always the way it was going to be in part because 
when we sent this contract out to bid, when we put out the RFP, um, the median price of a contract we got back was $350,000, um, which was well outside of our budget. Um, what we opted for was a, a more affordable um, a process that came in a little over $85,000 for the work that they did. And most of that work was more focused on the uh, community engagement that you may recall they gave, presented to us in their first presentation, reaching out to community groups and talking to different segments. And we asked them to look very specifically at three upcoming actions that we know are going to be a more difficult lift than some of the work that we've done before, just to get some extra eyes and ears, think, you know, um, looking at it and hearing what the community has to say and thinking about how we might tackle some of those tougher nuts. What happens next is uh, we were we are going to take their pre uh, recommendations. We actually have an internal meeting with our communications staff here at the city um, to sit down and go through those recommendations and figure out which ones we think will work well for the city, which ones we think may not be such a great fit. Um, one of the things that was completely absent from the recommendations was any discussion of how to use video, for example. So we want to loop, loop in our video staff to figure out how we can integrate that into the plan. And then we will come up with a formalized plan um, that will guide our efforts going forward. Our goal, my goal at least, is I would really like to see a soft launch with the April newsletter. Um, it makes sense with Earth Month to have something there and we could begin with the newsletter update. I'm assuming we resolve things like the question about the color scheme, which is an ongoing discussion here internally. Um, and then from there, we can build out the different pieces that they've given us um, as attached to different initiatives, if that makes sense. I'll also say, um, <laughs> not to talk too much about it, but one of the things that has been striking to me in listening in on discussions in the working group and discussions we've had with you all and internally um, with staff members in different departments and divisions that the things people tend to really love about their recommendations are things that were cooked up by our communications staff here at the city. And the things that people have felt a little eh, about are things that um, tended to come more from cause impacts corner, which tells me that we have really talented and great staff here working on communications in the city. And I'm really excited to, to see where they pick up um, these recommendations and run with them. I think it's really, I think, if nothing else, emphasize just the great pool of talent and ability we have an understanding of the city um, among our communications professionals here, which is great. Any other questions for staff about that? Well, thanks. That's, I think we all got a great primer on what makes for a mascot and why. Thank you. So uh, item seven now is new business. And um, the first item, I think this is information about how the working groups function versus actual updates from the working group, right? <laughs> Yeah. Whew. One of the tyrannies of the pandemic is you never get a drink of water when oh, you're wearing a mask the whole time. So forgive me if I get a little froggy. We can take a three minute break if that's. Oh, no, it's good. good. You just. <laughs> okay. John, yes. Oh, one comment. Uh, I, I really like uh, 
the thought process that you just uh, communicated to us. It strikes me, blame the educational system, blame whatever you want to blame. Uh, there are a lot of uh, people in school that don't even know who the governor is and don't know who the vice president of the United States is. And so I would suggest that as part of the kickoff, maybe we give a little more history on the goldfinch being the state bird of Iowa and why that was chosen and, and a little background on it to introduce Goldie, not just, uh, hey, you all know that this is our state bird. Um, I would suggest that if you gave a test to a large percentage of the Iowa population and asked them what the state bird of Iowa is, they wouldn't even know that it's the goldfinch. So I, I think it gives us an opportunity to rehash some, some really fun history and tie it to what the goals of the Iowa City Climate Action Plan is, is all about. Uh, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that uh, on behalf of our citizenry that a lot of people don't know the goldfinch is our bird and they haven't seen one maybe in ages. I just think it'd be a fun way to tie it all together. Yeah, that's a great idea. Thanks. You know, the other advantage of it being the state bird is, of course, goldfinches pop up all over the city all the time for a variety of reasons. And if we can create a connection between every time someone sees a goldfinch, they think about climate, then like every can of hard cider coming out of Wilson's Orchard is going to be doing a little work for us as well, which is really nice, um, among other examples, I'm sure that I can think of in any minute. <laughs> And some people may see a goldfinch pop up in the future. And because of our effort to communicate uh, the background of the state bird, they'll recognize it as the state bird, where right now they don't. True. Yeah, before you begin the next item, can we possibly darken the room a little? Because I think most of us don't have packets printed out. And if we can see the, Absolutely. the slide a little better. Help. Oh. Is that better? You'll still have to read it to some of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, the big thing, the big takeaway in this uh, next discussion is not necessarily um, this workflow chart, but just a discussion that we've been having for several months now, um, actually, I think more than a year about how to make best use of your time and your talents, particularly as it regards to working groups. Um, and one of the things that the staff has come to revisit is the idea of rather than having standing working groups the way we do now, um, standing those down and making them more project focused, which is how many other boards and commissions at the city work. So instead of having an ongoing um, let's say equity uh, working group, equity, that group would stand down. And then if we had a specific project, let's say like the resilience hubs, which actually is a great example. I think it is one that we would want to be forming a working group about sometime this year. Um, we would in a commission meeting ask to form a working group focused on that particular target. It would have um, very clear objectives 
to say, and a timeline saying over the next three months, we want to have some discussions um, in a working group format about the resilience hubs to answer these th three specific questions. When those questions are answered, then the working group would stand down, right? And we would move on to other projects. And as part of that, um, the staff may come and make a request saying, you know, as we're forming this working group, we'd also like to pull in some members of the public who have some related skills so that we could have their added expertise to the discussion. And then we would ask uh, you all as members of the working group or members of the commission to help us identify the folks that we would want to be incorporating into that discussion as well. Um, and basically, this whole slide just says exa exactly that. Um, we think this may actually make a better use of your time so that you're not being asked to meet twice a month, every single month. Um, we think it also is a way to better tap into the expertise that you all bring by allowing you to identify on a project by project basis um, where your interests and knowledge may best align. Um, and if for those of you who um, feel that maybe being in a working group setting is not um, the best use of your talents, we would, uh, as parallel to this, suggest uh, actually a recommendation that came up in the marketing study as well, that we would be identifying um, groups, com uh, community-based organizations that rather than sitting in on a working group meeting, we might say, hey, we would really like it if someone could um, sit in on the next affordable housing coalition meeting um, to just talk a little about your work with the commission and to make sure that they understand that they have a channel of communication to reach us um, so that they can better speak to us about their needs and we can speak to them about their resources. And I think this very much goes back to what you were saying earlier, Michael, about how are you meant to be ambassadors to the community to help get the word out about um, what we're doing and ways that the community can tap into these initiatives and resources as well. So um, I know that we had discussed this a little in the adaptation and equity working group. I believe it was discussed a little in the building working group as well, which just leaves outreach to talk about the potential of standing down. But we wanted to bring this forward as an idea for a different way to do things this year. Um, and I'd like to open the floor just to answer any questions you might have about this approach. And if I could note, it actually has come before the entire commission, right, as a mm -hmm. discussion point. So. Yeah. And I guess I can, well, you know, as one of the people who initially wanted to form the working groups, one of the goal, I think, a couple of goals that I would hope that we don't lose if we stand down, stand them down as standing working groups. One is that, um, you know, as a commission, we're just 11 people. And we're supposed to represent the public, but the I, I don't think we want to lose the opportunity for the public to be engaged and involved. Um, and, and so, like you're saying, I think um, if it's a project-based approach, then we need to be actively working to engage others in that process. So it takes a bit more, you know, due diligence to 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 make that happen. I guess more effort, maybe. So I guess that's one goal. The other is that it was also a framework that allowed for ongoing, like ad hoc things to come up that may not otherwise, like it's a, it's a venue for that thing, for that type of discussion to happen. Mm -hmm. And that's outside of the formality of the Climate Action Commission. You know, for instance, if the, a member of the public brings up a topic, we can't talk about it. We can't discuss it at that same meeting. 
we have to kind of put it on the agenda for a future meeting or, you know, have them show up to a working group meeting, right? Was, was the, the way that you could do that. Um, and, and I think there are other, there are issues out there, broad-based issues that have, should be discussed on an ongoing basis. And so I, I would, I don't want to lose that opportunity or that ability to, to talk about those issues, equity, outreach, you know, those are, working groups where we can talk about those topics on a regular basis. If they're gone and we're only talking about them on a, on a topic-based or a project-based issue, then when do we talk about them? You know, I think it, it can't just be the city staff. And that goes back to my earlier comment about process is that I think, and I've seen this on multiple different issues, not just on climate action-based issues, but it's that, um, you know, uh, oh, there's all this work that goes into something and we don't know what our blind spots are. And then we present it to council, we present it to the commission and it gets rejected. It gets a lot of pushback. And I think it's because there's just not an open process. If, if multiple vo voices are involved in the process of development, that there's collaboration, mm -hmm. then, then you, can, uh, you can help avoid the conflict that happens later. Um, and so I think it's the same is that if you lose the framework to have that open process, that open collaboration and communication, then I think we, we, we bind ourselves a little bit and it, it, we can run into those issues and not see our blind spots. So those are just some goals that I think we shouldn't lose if we change our process. Uh, and we need to think about how we can keep that, uh, you know, to still meet those goals. I think those are all excellent thoughts. Thank you so much for bringing them up, Matt. Um, I can speak to one of the points in saying that part of our thinking behind this is um, with equity and outreach specifically, that these are such important topics for the work that we're doing. The thought is by bringing them out of working groups, they become um, part of the more regular ongoing discussion of the commission itself. So instead of having a small subset discussing it, um, it's actually a gesture of saying we all want to be having this conversation regularly in meetings. Um, and I would suggest even that if we have a member of the public who comes and raises a question that wants to be discussed, I don't think it's inappropriate in the course of that meeting to say that's a really great point. We would like to discuss it more. Could we be forming a working group to address it, right? And we could address it more nimbly that way, I think. So, but yes, excellent, excellent points to consider. Thank you. Uh, kind of to go along with what you said, I, I don't want to lose the uh, equity focus in any discussion with any number of people on any topic. And, and the same goes with outreach. But as I was thinking about that, I'm struck by the fact, I think there are only three of us in the room that were on the original board before we came, became a commission. And for those of you that weren't on the original board and are on the commission, there were some pretty solid reasons that we wanted to become a commission rather than be a board. And I don't know if those, those goals of like having credibility and, and having being able to hold others accountable, I don't know if we lose or gain any of that as we transition from having formal working groups to having ad hoc working groups. 
And can, can you think of anything rationale-wise about why we thought it was so important to become a commission rather than remain a board that might relate to this discussion, Matt? Not necessarily as a commission. I mean, I think, um, you know, a working group, we only have 90 minutes, right, every month to talk about issues as a group. And so the working groups just provide another opportunity to expand and go into detail on topics, which again, that couldn't be project-based. I'm not saying that it couldn't. And gain more talent too yeah. along the way. That was another issue with working groups. Yep. I think that's one thing that I, one thing I appreciated about the approach that you guys have suggested or proposing at this point in time is the ability to get involved in an action item that maybe your background or expertise is more relevant to, whereas you can't do that if you're um, assigned to a specific working group. Um, I, I just think it's a good opportunity to get the most appropriate people actively working in working group format for a specific action item that's either currently taking place or on the horizon. What one? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Michael. Well, um, I was gonna say I I like the idea of a project based approach, and I'm I'm really interested in the concerns you brought up. Um, and I think it's similarly a concern I would have is if like we talked about, well, there's no point in having these standing working group meetings if there isn't something for the groups to discuss and we could get people their time back, but I don't want that to be the goal in and of itself. And so if we make this change and then we just don't call ad hoc mm -hmm. groups, I think that would be a loss. Um, so I think like for me, it's not just getting my time back that's valuable. It's like having a valuable way to engage and contribute. Um, and I think to Matt's point, um, making sure then that we really get that chance to engage, um, equitably engage different members of the community. And I do appreciate Matt, what you're saying. I guess I, I admit I would argue a little against it just in the sense that the working groups, as far as I see it being on the building one are not publicized in the way that most of the public even knows they exist or when to come. They're held when the members who are engaged at the moment, mostly as commissioners and the in our case we've had one member of the public who has been very regular we decide when and where that can be and realistically i think it's very hard because we are essentially as volunteers helping to be available to potentially other volunteers it's hard to really make that be a forum to get widespread equitable input so while i think it's important and maybe there's a little bit of a hybrid approach here where maybe the building group meets four times a year because some of it is so kind of technical and there's things we wouldn't want to lose sight of. And so maybe that's a standing meeting for there's there still is like a building working group. I feel like outreach and equity has really is my understanding from how I wasn't on the, the board when the goal was to create the action plan and then the 100 day action items. But I feel like we really have come a long way with equity. We have equity tool. We have the tool that like Daniel used in his review that I hopefully have time to look at, you know, so we have more tools in place. And I do think it's incumbent on every single one of us to be bringing that lens to everything we do, regardless of what our professional 
or other expertise has. And I and I think I feel, I feel like I've seen almost you know everyone in this room make comments or bring that to to the thinking. So I feel kind of confident that we would still have that opportunity. And maybe once a year, groups that don't have say four meetings, like maybe there's a little retreat for those who want to just take a pause and more generally look at things to make sure we they aren't being missed. Um, so I know those are kind of my thoughts. I kind of would like to see, and I feel like with the idea that if you're not going to be on a project base, and maybe we, you know, it's, I feel it's a little, maybe a little unfair to call them quote ad hoc, they're project based, you know, they're, you're going from theme based, if you will, to project based. And I'm not just trying to spin something here, but maybe if we kind of use the word project based, it feels a little more substantial because we, when we were working on our building density memo, it was literally a whole year. I mean, mm -hmm. it was a very involved effort. Um, and so those are um, with the alternative that if you're not at a moment on a project group, you would be um, sort of offered or called upon to, to maybe be a liaison to something specific. To me, that really gets at some of the outreach and equity because we're, we would be, Instead of 11 of us in the room, there'd be one of us in a room of 20 other people who know all about some important topic and they are teaching us, we are imparting to them the fact that we exist and it builds those relationships. So I do though really, I because I worked with you so much in this mm -hmm. and you've always been very mindful and, and thoughtful, like let's never lose sight of of the of the both the particulars and the whole. So. Yeah. And I agree with you, Becky. I mean, I think, Thanks. you know, having tried out the approach we're doing now for as long as we have, it may not be working the way that we initially intended either. And so why not try something else? So in that way, you know, I think we have the ability to be flexible. And, and if things don't aren't going the way we want, we change again. So I'm open to like I said, I'm open open to all sorts of different ways of doing we'll this. We'll keep our meeting next week. We still have oh, okay. <laughs> so one other thing that I wanted to comment on, um, Sarah, you provided us some much needed structured guidance with the adaptation equity working group that has helped keep us in line and on track that might be more broadly applicable to even the project-based approach in that we clearly identified action items that the city is either currently working on or getting ready to work on. So it's not like we would, you know, be behind the eight ball. We would be aware of the projects that are near term that we need to start thinking about getting that appropriate working group together. So we're not dropping the ball on any of those action items. I was just gonna kind of speak to my experience because I was on the building working group, which basically doesn't end. There's always something to kind of review and go over and whatever. And it's also on the transportation one where we really didn't do anything in the, the year that it was put together, sat in on the waste one. I think that lasted one meeting. And so I think there's there's times where you need a project-based group, and there's times where you're going to need like a work group that's kind of a standing working group. And I wonder if there's some sort of blend or hybrid of both. But I do really like the idea of doing like the public outreach and going to meet with these different groups. Um, you know, you know, the city winning the award for the environmental thing, that's something where, you know, as a commissioner, I'm interested in, I could go witness that, see what that's all about, bring that back, report it back to the entire commission. And maybe a way to um, ensure that we're, you know, following through with that is to have within the agenda, some sort of like outreach update where anybody who's gone and sat in on these different groups or listened to this webinar or whatever can bring information back to the larger group. 
you know, and maybe, and maybe the approach is that, at, you know, at our commission meetings, we identify, we have as a line item just to identify if there are any, you know, project-based working groups that we need to set up or even a way to discuss, are there organizations, members of the public, other, you know, other parties that we should make sure are engaged or part of that discussion, uh, you know, for that particular topic. To be honest, what I'd really like to do is um, potentially in next month's meeting, bring forward the initiatives that we anticipate this year, we could use the help of a project based working group on and go over it together as a commission to determine um, which ones you feel it makes sense to take on so that we can map out the rest of the calendar year in terms of when are those working groups going to form? What are they going to address? Who do we need to be reaching out to to be part of it? And we can stagger them a little so that, you know, it makes the best use of everyone's time. Of course, Michael, that's not our one and only guiding principle, but I appreciate you saying that very much. Yeah, so um, that we it's a project we could be working on together to think of how we're going to divide up the year's work, essentially. Anyone else have any other questions or thoughts? I think this is a great discussion. I really appreciate all the views. Um, I, th I think going to a project-based thing would be more inclusive, not only of the group, but community too. And not like everybody else is saying, hybrid might be kind of the way to go. You got people in their specific niches that that's what they're good at, but then open it up to more you know, community members or you know, some projects somebody might not have any idea on others you know might be like hey this is literally what i do so i think it might be a little bit more inclusive of everybody in the community if you were went to something more project-based but still had something like a you know not to make it clicky <laughs> you know to to avoid that so well should sarah would you like to bring we'll put it i want to make sure we have time for daniel's mm -hmm. presentation and some discussion so and maybe it's good this kind of thing to let us all let rest and then percolate with more ideas for for uh next month that absolutely right? that makes sense and i'll say um we are not we're not interested in forcing the buildings working group to stand down <laughs> if it would rather continue meeting um we'll certainly leave that to you to discuss in your upcoming meeting and then yeah, report back at the next That's one good. thank you um so item 7b is um in, do, it, so do I need a note if a commissioner needs to leave? But I don't know. You have to go pick oh. up my kids. <laughs> At this point, Ben is leaving to get his kids. <laughs> um, thank you, Ben. Um, so, uh, next item under new business is the multifamily EVSE rebate program. So, it's info update and some discussion. And Daniel Bissell will be leading this. Daniel Bissell, Climate Action Analyst. So, as you know, the um, Eastern Iowa EV Readiness Plan and the city's Accelerated Action Work Plan calls for um, expanding opportunities for um, EV charging and incentivizing um, electric vehicles and EV charging. Um, Mid-American Energy uh, does have um, a current rebate um, on the equipment. Um, they offer um, $1,500 towards the purchase of a commercial entity um to purchase uh, the equipment um so the city uh Iowa city is proposing to supplement that by offering a 50 50 match on um, the installation costs of such equipment um so we're 
proposing to offer um, up to $1,000 um, of installation costs if no uh, electric service panel upgrade is required, or up to $2,500 if a service panel upgrade is required. Um, some of the uh, requirements that we uh, identified as the um, labor must be completed by a licensed electrician. Um, we're going to request usage data um, uh, for up to two years following the project completion. And we are um, offering educational materials, not only for the landlords, but uh, tenants as well on the use of such equipment. Um, we do have interest already uh, from a couple landlords and a couple um, um, homeowners associations uh, that govern a few condos in town. So um, we are excited that there is uh, a buzz out there and there's a there's a um, there uh, is a desire to get something like this done um, from a few landlords and HOAs in town. Um, so with that, I'd like to uh, open it up to any discussion or questions you might have. Go ahead. If, yeah, I'm sorry. No, I just, <laughs> I'm one, just yeah. letting anyone else go first. But I do have some, but I'd like you all to go first. Yeah, I have a few questions. Um, it didn't look from the project plan that really any renters had been contacted yet. And I was wondering if we have any sense of what uh like what renters need or you know how many renters are looking for ev charging stations um do you have any idea of how many people it might impact uh we we don't uh no we haven't heard from any uh renters but um um with the the landlords that have um, contacted us and are interested in such a program we um, do plan on doing outreach with those tenants once a uh, an install is completed. Does it make sense to do it before the install is completed? I I can like imagine a situation where we end up putting in a bunch of EV charging stations where there are no EV cars, <laughs> or where it's not actually serving the goal of. Um, I know like an explicit goal was to make electric car infrastructure available to um people of color and low-income right families and so I'm just and with the, with the electrification of transportation in general it is sort of a chicken and the egg problem a lot of people think well i'll get an ev once i see charging infrastructure in place a lot of businesses and commercial entities are saying well i'll install ev charging when um people have uh, have electric vehicles so again with the chicken and the egg program someone's going to have to go first um, I guess my related question is the success metric for that is like it will be successful if several, several property managers install it. And I'm wondering if that means like if two property managers install it or like, I guess, are we targeting like specific property? I guess like if two sort of high end apartment buildings installed on this program, would we call it? And a success. Um, that would probably be more of an opportunity to um, uh, market to more um, lower end properties. I think what you're getting at. Yeah. Well, actually, well, I guess more specific. I'm getting at like, I would love to see a more specific success metric, like either an 
and rather in terms of instead of in terms of property owners if the goal is the people that have access if we can maybe set goals in terms of the number of, of people that we hope to impact all right love to recommend that then I think that would also then give us something to discuss later if we aren't successful with this project and oh well, you know then we have something to talk about like oh how come it didn't impact anybody and we can make changes in the future yeah because your, met your metrics your metrics talking about utilization are based on a percentage of your population right not a based on a population not based on a percentage of your your building owners necessarily so if you align your metrics like you're saying then you understand you can track it and measure it yeah i was also wondering a little bit about the success metrics and it related back to and thanks for going through the equity uh sheet that was very interesting to kind of think about and and helpful but i did wonder on so under one of the steps it's actually step two data point to be just so you know which one I'm talking about. It was talk. It didn't mark off any impacts on specific neighborhoods. Yet then there are certain populations that are identified, and I think would think that in effect, probably some neighborhoods would potentially be more more of a candidate or or more impacted because surely there's some neighborhoods where there's virtually no multifamily housing that's rental. And so maybe is there a way to go back and look at the neighborhoods and maybe do a little more identification of, I think that gets back to Michael's earlier point as well, of, of where might there be, if you can try to do a little more ouch meet, where, where might that be? Um, and because also one of the uh, groups that might be affected would be young people. That wasn't checked off, but I could see that that might be an area or a group that that could be affected and um yeah i just kind of want to if there's a way for the success to, for just a more a clear identification what will be the goal the goal and therefore the metric of success and just from a practical point of view and you i know i you the total cost for these installs can vary kind of you know greatly depending on what additional work needs to be done i guess if in the fine print you could just make sure there's some wording there's the, the landlords are going to have a part that they kick in right and right. there just needs to be some wording so that potentially if it's a lower cost install that between the rebate and what iowa cities i guess you have an adjustment i guess what i'm getting at is just to be sure that there's no way that the the, the landlord pays nothing that the, just to make sure the way you've defined things that it's clear that that if iowa city is going to pay 50 percent of an install that that always subtracts out the assumption that they're going to get the mid-american rebate uh, and i'm sorry it's something we we because the the county has a program and it's just i know i'm kind of getting the weeds here so i could talk to you about that offline but it's just it's like a it, it's a way to make sure sure that you don't overpay someone sure and i'm not explaining it very well so but i think i understand what you're, what you yeah. are meaning and i um we can dig into the mid-american um rebate and i believe the way that functions is it's an up to 
$1,500. I don't think they're going to hand you a check for $1,500 if you only spend $700 on the equipment, but I can double check on that. Yeah. And in our program, what we did was like folks would have to get their rebate, then come back to submit to us. We saw the final program cost and we knew what half would be, so to speak. It was very similar. It's set up very similar. So you're not assuming, and and it works out better for them sometimes because sometimes they might not get as much, right? So, but. <laughs> I, I had a question about the the kind of the the extent of the program. So the um, the incentive is for the charging equipment. Is it a per installation or is it a per project? I mean, it, you know, for instance, if someone's putting in ten of them, you know, are they getting the same incentive as if someone's putting in one of them? That was a little unclear to me. Um, so because having worked on these types of projects and my you know, in my line of work, I know that, you know, it's what you're doing as an incentive for one pays for quite a bit of it. If you're paying for, you know, it's a small incentive if you're, if you're trying to install quite a few. Right. So that goes back to the goals, you know, as far as are we trying to get as many of these as possible or just trying to get as many people as possible involved in getting this done. Yeah. And then the other, um, that, and then that goes back to my second question, which is the total amount budgeted to the project, because I think I saw 35,000 in there. If you take that for the number that you're putting on the incentive, it doesn't seem like you're gonna actually get that many um, unless you're doing it on a per project basis rather than per item basis. So. Thank you. Yeah. The last question I have is on signage. And Sarah, I know you know a lot about this and the issues of consistency of signage. Will there be a way to help folks with that piece of it so that maybe everybody's using the same sign rather than on their own ordering something and that's something that we intend on helping uh, property owners with as part of the education and outreach piece okay great that's good to hear oh sorry i have one more question about the (laughs) um the data tracking so you had on there that it's the part of the program is that to um, ask for the people who are getting the incentive to provide data for a certain duration. Um, I was just wondering how, like, I mean, is that like a voluntary sort of reporting or is that something that you're asking them to provide access to the account information? I just wondered. Um, we were expecting them to report to us. Okay. Yeah, we don't expect uh, um, like their login for their charge point account or, or something like that. Okay. And so it's probably a like per month usage that you, kilowatt usage or whatever right per yeah. month and probably um reported annually okay annual okay so question uh does a landlord do this and i think the answer is yes does a landlord do this because they want to attract uh customers i have a place for you to recharge your electric vehicle therefore you will rent from me Or do they do it because they're being asked by their existent clientele for charging stations? And one more thing on signage, I'd like to think Goldie would be standing there with a plug. And a bag of money. (laughs) Well, yeah, and a bag of money too. But (laughs) might as well get Goldie involved in this at every opportunity. So Goldie should be on all the signs in Iowa City where you can recharge. 
I think. So John's comment, I mean, it goes back to us what Michael was saying, like kind of knowing are there buildings with renters who want this? So, cause I guess one little unintended consequence I would worry about a building where almost nobody has shown interest. The landlord puts these in and then when he's renewing or she, sorry, when the person is, the landlord is renewing leases, somehow gets when somebody, you know, that in a sense, someone gets pushed out because they, there would be someone else who wants that EV charger and, and he rents go up a little bit and somebody, somebody who could afford that place previously now isn't getting a renewed lease and somebody else with the EV is moving in. That was kind of my question too, is how are we Just, you know, going about it? Like, are there restrictions on where and who can put these in? Because if you have a, a rental building and it's only on street parking, it, it opens it up to everybody or what restrictions do these, you know, commercial renting places have in what they can and can't do with it. And as Becky was saying, are, are people going to be charged more because this is a, a new opportunity for them? Well, that's one of the things that we uh, have been talking about um, is um, again, providing uh, education to landlords and HOAs on up, on cost sharing, how they can recover um, the cost of electricity from the residents who use it, or um, if it is lightly utilized, maybe uh, eating it because it eating the cost because it doesn't uh, um, add that much to their electric bill overall. I mean, maybe one question that. I assume there's an application process, right? And so maybe yes. one of the questions on the application is what percentage of your tenants have an interest in, uh, you know, EV charging? I mean, and, and maybe that's a way for you to say, oh, all of a sudden I see a higher percentage here, you know, or they need to ask their tenants, right? To respond to a quick survey or something. So, I mean, I think it, it may just be something simple to help help you direct right now you probably again this is in the pilot stage right you're trying you're just getting out there with the people who show initial interest but in an ongoing way uh it might make sense to and in a competitive way it might make sense to help you prioritize where things go how does charge point work do they do they <laughs> Like, do you have to pay to have a charge point machine and like all that have this software or like does charge point pay rent for having getting the spot there that they're getting money from like don't atms pay rent typically the um the station owner in the case of charge point um you know um um their model is the, the station owner would pay for ongoing um maintenance fees and uh uh, internet connectivity, all of that, uh, and then the station owner can um, set a price or have it open uh, for free, um, um, set a price per kilowatt hour or per hour um, for residents or uh, people to use. One, one other question I have is like damage, just like if a, a point gets damaged, are they going to be eligible to keep doing it, you know, because other people in the parking garage keep backing into it or something. Just kind of 
you know, going along the lines of costs and how much we have allotted for this, you know, is somebody going to be replacing it every month or something? Yeah, I would, um, I would imagine that the, uh, the station owner, the landlord would be responsible for any maintenance or damage. Hopefully they'd have insurance. So <laughs> um, um, just in the interest of time, we only have about two and a half minutes left. Um, would it be okay? Is this something, uh, Daniel, you'll be bringing back to us kind of a re revised version or you're gonna, will we hear from you again on this? Or if, if you would like. Would, what would the commission like to hear again? Given the questions we had, maybe hear again from Daniel on this. Does yeah, I would. Yes. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Thanks or, for all your work on it. Or at least an update. I mean, yeah, or at least it's some kind of update. Just uh, we know it's a pilot program, so um, the update. Just, just really quickly, is this an opportunity for an ad hoc committee that's going to include uh, outreach, include equity, include uh, getting outside people that know more about this than we know? to put a group together to help with this? Just just asking. Maybe Good. you guys can think about that and bring that back as part of the update, if whether that might be needed. Is that, would that be a way to handle? We could discuss it next time, whether that seems needed. Sure. Um, so the updates on the working groups, I think, again, and the, the reports are in there, and again, commissioners are expected to read those, and I, I think with the way our discussion went today, we were able to cover most of that. Um, and so the recap of actionable items for the commission working groups and staff, you guys, I, I, I saw you furiously writing a lot, so I hope we didn't give you 100 things to do. Well, we're gonna provide you an update on the EV <laughs> pilot program. Um, the buildings working group is going to meet and discuss um, whether you'd like to start meeting quarterly or how you'd like to handle that transition. Um, I will plan on meeting with the outreach working group since, well, actually, let me put that to the members here. Um, would this discussion like to be taken to the outreach working group or um, it feels to me like it might be better for me just to reach out to the members of the public who've been participating in that to give them an update as to the transition toward uh, project based and ask if they'd be interested in participating in future uh, working group meetings that way. All right, that's how we'll handle that. Great. Um, and then in the next meeting, we will bring a list to you of potential working group projects for the year ahead so that we can map it out. Um, and I'm just going to give myself a task, which is since I we would like a message to go to the uh, Parks and Recs folks, why don't I write that <laughs> and I will send it to you guys and you can forward it on. That way it sort of comes from the commission versus we heard. Um, so thank you, everybody. And um, with that, we will adjourn and see you in March. Mm -hmm.